Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, Episode 141, Concussions and Nervous System Resilience with Bethany Lewis, Part 2. Welcome to Building Resilience, a podcast where theory, practical strategies, and inspiring stories show you how to unlock your best life. I'm your host, Leah Davidson. As a certified life coach, speech-language pathologist, and nervous system resilience expert, it is my mission to teach you how to be more resilient to life's adversities. I will show you how to manage your mind, befriend your nervous system, process your emotions, and even eliminate stress. It's time to do more than just survive. It's time to thrive. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Today, we are continuing on with my conversation with Bethany Lewis. If you hadn't had a chance to listen to last week's episode, then please do so. I am talking to Bethany, who is an occupational therapist and a concussion coach. And she is one of my students from the first cohort of my advanced training in nervous system resilience. I was on her podcast a little while ago, and I actually wanted to share the conversation that we had there because it gave such a great review of the nervous system in general. And today we're talking even more about nervous system and concussion, both topics that are near and dear to my heart. We are picking up from where we left off last week, starting with some specific strategies when you are in Team Hyper. Then we'll move to talking more specifically about the nervous system and concussion, caregiving, and parenting. Enjoy this part of the conversation. Are there any specific strategies that you particularly love to share with people to help them when they are in Team Hyper and are like really activated and and need to calm down? Yeah. So I look at when you're in team hyper, it's going to be one of two things. One is there's an excess of energy. So it could be if you're feeling very, very anxious, you can actually feel it in your body because that's the anxiety alarm lives in your body. You will want to get out and move. So going for a quick walk, you know, doing activities, sports, things that will get that energy going, dancing around, jumping up and down, anything like that. That will help you get rid of the energy so you can downregulate. Sometimes, though, it's not necessarily energy that you feel. It's almost like a stiffness, a tension that you feel. And in those situations, then what you'll want to do is you'll want to relax into it. I talk about something called the rag doll, where you just sort of, you know, let yourself go, let it, I was going to say, let it hang, but essentially that's what it is. So you want to be asking yourself, do I have energy that I need to move or am I feeling like so tense that I need to just relax and then I can do that. So those are kind of the two directions that you can go when you're on team hyper. Yeah. I love the, the ragdoll is a helpful one. I think for sure. It's like just letting your whole body kind of relax. I, the analogy of toy story. I love that. Oh yeah. That was amazing that, yeah, I had a client when she was sharing that she was teaching it to her kids. And, um, because I go through a a process where the ragdoll is, is a strategy that we use often. And she, as she was teaching it to her kids, it came up that if you remember in the movie toy story, when all the toys are all playing around and then somebody yells, Andy's coming. And they all just completely like drop, 
like little rag dolls. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what we want to be doing. We want to be dropping, like Andy needs to visit us a lot during (laughs) every day so that we can get, because when a body is relaxed, it can't house stress and anxiety and panic. So a relaxed body is what we want to go to when we are in that hyper aroused state, because it helps us just let it all go. Yes. So that's, it's so important to practice relaxing throughout the day so that when you need to have, like when you're feeling that tension, your body knows what to do to access that relaxation. It's a familiar, it's a familiar movement. That's that neuroplasticity, right? We have to be doing things over and over to build that pathway up. Sometimes people will say to me, well, I tried the breathing technique or I tried the rag doll and it doesn't work. And I'm like, well, that's kind of like saying I went to the gym and I did 10 dumbbell presses and I look in the mirror and there's no change. Well, (laughs) yeah, of course not. You're not going to expect it. The change comes from the consistency of doing it over and over and over where you're recreating, you know, for your muscles, they're learning. But when we're doing something with our brain, it's the neuroplasticity. It's a new route that we're laying down. It's not just one time. It's going to be hundreds and thousands of time. And then after you do it, then it becomes almost automatic where you just know that something will happen and you maybe will feel yourself get activated. And then just right away, you're like, okay, first thing I need to do, I just need to ragdoll. I need to take a breath. I need to do, you know, whatever it is that will help me get more regulated. And you have to be practicing that. Yes. Oh, so a couple of thoughts on that one. I think it's so interesting how our body can signal to our brain to let it know whether we need to be stressed or not. And that's, that's really key. Like if we can have a relaxed body, then our brain can be like, oh, okay. We're, we're good then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's because if, as I mentioned earlier, there's that vagus nerve, which is primarily responsible for our parasympathetic system, which is that rest and digest that state of safety that we're meant to be in that state that that's sort of our home state. And that vagus nerve is a bi-directional nerve, meaning it runs both ways. It's going from the brain stem down to the body, but it's also coming from all the organs of the body back up to the brain. Now, what's fascinating about it is it's 20% is going from the brain to the body and 80% goes from the body to the brain. So we can do things in both directions. That's why, you know, your, your mindset and the power of your thoughts can definitely influence your nervous system and your body, but your body and your nervous system, actually it has 80% of communication going back to the brain. So it's almost easier and more likely that it's going to have a better response when you start with the body. Now, the idea is you want both. You want to be sending the message. And I always say, it's like sending that cognitive message. Hey, we're good up here. And then the body's like, yeah, but we're not good here. And then when the body's like, okay, fixed it. We're relaxed now. We're good. All right. Everybody's good. Roger that. Let's keep moving. We're all on the same page. We need to have that communication and it's bi-directional. So we want to be doing as much as we can with our body since 80% of that information is what's being communicated up. 
Yes. Oh, so such good information. One of the things that my like personal experience that I've had with this that I, I always love to share with my clients, and I don't know if they love to hear it because it's about <laughs> birth, but I did, um, I did hypnobirthing. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that or not. Yeah. But- um, yeah, it's it's about, I always tell people it sounds really hippie and weird, but it's basically just self-hypnosis, like relaxation, breathing strategies to help allow your body to do what it's supposed to do when in labor. And with my first baby, I was like, I read the book and I listened to the little CD that has some scripts to listen to. I listened to that like once or twice and I was like, oh, good. I've got this. And then I went into labor and was like, Oh, I don't have that. (laughs) Give me the drugs. They did. It was great. Um, But with my second one, I was like, okay, I really want to try this for real this time. And so I, like you were saying, I practiced, I did it for months ahead of time at night. I would practice the breathing. I would try to relax. And I, I like got to a point where even to this day, it's so helpful. Like I know that if I relax the muscles around my eyes, my jaw, my neck, my shoulders, then I'm like gone. Like I, it, it helps so much. And it was that practice, that regular practice and practicing it through, I get really bad Charlie horses when I was pregnant. And I like, my husband one time was like, you should practice your breathing through that. (laughs) I was like, shut up and let me squeeze your hand. (laughs) And I didn't practice it. And it like, it, yeah, I, it was amazing. I could like visualize uh, like a zipper unzipping down my leg and like breathing through it. And I could like, I could feel the muscles relaxing through my leg. And then like, sometimes it would zip right back up and I'd be screaming again, but it it was so amazing. The power of that mind body, that relaxation, it was so cool. And then, yeah, when I was in labor, as I was, a- as long as I was able to focus on that relaxation and breathing, I didn't have pain. I felt pressure, but not pain. Yeah. It was, it was amazing. Okay, um, yeah. So yeah, and it and so it was just a testament to me that the practice when you don't need it is really what makes exactly. It. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. I have in one of our upcoming sessions, I use childbirth as the example. So I guess it's a typical thing that women but and that's I can't remember the exact example, but that is the gist of it. Like you you can't expect, like, you know, they say, you know, in my day, because I'm a little bit older than you, when we did the birthing classes, it was all about breathing. Well, you're not going to be able to access that breathing when you are in the middle of being in labor. If you've never done it before, mm-hmm. you, you do have to be practicing. The other analogy I give, which maybe is an easier one for people who, <laughs> who don't want to talk about birthing experiences, but it is being a pilot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when they are in an emergency situation, you hope that your pilot's not like, oh, could you find me the emergency manual? And could you find what we're supposed to do? No, it needs to be automatic, which is why, from my understanding, they go through their checklists all the time. They're rehearsing the emergency. They know so that when there is an emergency, they've practiced it. It's automatic. They know what to do. They don't have to be looking things up on page two, read out what it says. They don't have to do that. And your nervous system is like that. Like you have to be reading the manual. You have to be practicing the technique so that when you are in a situation and you will, you will be in many, many, many situations where you're going to be activated thousands of times a day, you know what to do and you know how to respond. And when you respond, what that does is you calm yourself down, you get back into that zone and then your CEO, she can step in she can start taking over and start making decisions that are rational 
logical based on all the information because she's not doing it from a dysregulated state. She's doing it from a safe and social and resilient home state. Yes. Oh, so good. That practice so that it becomes automatic is really key. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has all been so, so good. How, and maybe, I mean, it applies to everybody, but in your experience, how has all of this information specifically been helpful with people who've had concussions or other types of brain injuries? Well, I think the big thing is your system's been thrown off and just understanding that. And and we don't usually share that with our clients, which I, I find surprising. Like you are launched into a state of dysregulation when you have sustained an injury. So you need to learn how to come back home, which is hard because everything is unfamiliar. And what I find with many of my clients is it's almost like panic sets in because they're like, okay, this is not familiar. What's happening here? What if I don't get back? And they start stressing about the future. What if I'm never able to return this way and I have so much pain and I can't handle this? So they get really immersed and stuck in that team hyper. And then we know when you stay there too long, they can drop down into that team hypo. So I think that when they understand, okay, this is a nervous system reaction in order for you to take advantage of all the strategies that all your therapists are trying to teach you, you want to start with learning how to be regulated. You want to start with trying to be in that home zone and not getting stressed out. And it's hard Mm -hmm. for sure, because this is, it's scary for a lot of people. Like all of a sudden their world is turned upside down by, you know, maybe it is something like an accident, but maybe it is something like they bumped their head on something or it was just a fender bender or something. And when I say just, I'm talking about the incident, the implications and the functionality can be far reaching in people's lives, even with like a, you know, sort of quote unquote, a mild incident. So you want to learn about your nervous system to get into that home state so that when you see your OTPT SLP and they're like, hey, try this strategy, that strategy usually requires your CEO to be in charge of it. And if you are in a dysregulated state, she's gone. She's not there. So you're trying to figure that that's why people get very overwhelmed. I don't understand. What do you want me to do? How to do this? It doesn't work. And part of it is because they're still dysregulated. Yes. Amen to all of that. That is, I love that you understand this, <laughs> the, what people are dealing with, because it doesn't get talked about. And you're exactly right. The whole system has been thrown off and people tend to spend a lot of time up in one of the other yeah. and hyper usually and often in hypo too. So, yeah. so when somebody is, has had a concussion and is in hyper, is it the, the breathing, those, those yeah. things that help to reestablish safety? That's yeah. the same, Absolutely. same strategies, right? It's the same strategies all around. I know from myself, from speech pathology, I'm trying to teach people a lot of memory strategies and a lot of word finding strategies. My first thing is always, okay, stop whatever you're doing. Like, you know, remind yourself you're totally safe because that's a piece that your brain and your body need to understand. You're totally safe here. Even if you can't find the word, it's not the end of the world. Relax your body, take in a deep breath. Okay, now let's look at the strategies. That is the same thing in all therapies. In fact, and I think I shared this with the group, I was doing some physio not so long ago because I have some balance issues related to um, some vestibular. And she was trying to get me, the therapist was trying to get me to close my eyes 
And um, I can't remember if it was balance on one foot or something. And I, I was a mess. Like I just could not do it. And I kept on practicing and practicing. And as I was doing it, I realized, oh my gosh, I am just so tensed. And every time I kept falling over, I would like berate myself. Like, what's wrong with you? I can't believe like you're, you're, you know, you're not 90 years old. Like you should be able to do this. And instead I was like, okay, I am going to, first of all, I'm going to stop. I'm going to breathe. I'm going to focus. And that's exactly what I did. And when I was calmer, it was amazing. The change that I was, I was still having issues, but I was just like, all right, you're almost there. Okay, let's just do it. And I was kinder to myself and more compassionate. And when I was doing that, I realized I was like, okay, I know that the regulation stuff works with speech pathology and all the cognitive communication, but it works with all the physio stuff too. From my perspective, it, it works. We function in general, in everything, in our relationships, in our physical, in our cognitive, when we are regulated, everything changes. Yes. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Amen. It was interesting. As you were saying that I could even like, I could feel the tension when you were talking about it. And then I could feel relaxed as you were like, no, we're just going to breathe. We're going to be okay. (laughs) Super, super interesting. And I think a strategy that is helpful for when people are in in that like state and trying to calm down in that moment is to bring it to the present. That's why the mindfulness practice meditation can be so helpful. Like, okay, what can I see? What can I hear right now? If we bring it to the body into what we're experiencing right now in this moment, then we can let go of all of the stress of the future being horrible in the past. It's like, okay, our mind, our mind goes to the past and our mind goes to the future. Our body has to stay in the present. And so that's why if we get into our body, we have no choice but to stay in the present. And that's why there is such a push to focus on your body. And even mindfulness, it's interesting that we we call it mindfulness because it's really like bodyfulness. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Really, we want to focus on on the body. It's, It's both. But I think we get tied into our thinking and our thinking can just pull us past, future, present. Let's go back to the past again, back to the future again. Whereas our body's like, I'm here. <laughs> like, and, and here is usually safe, right? Like all of the danger here, here is like past and future. Usually right now we're good. Right now, draw a circle around yourself and stand in it and you are safe. That's where you need to be. This is the present moment. Yeah. That's why it's so helpful to like, ask yourself, am I safe? And then like recognize, okay, in my body, like where are we, what was happening? In fact, you can't really be regulated. Like I teach the three components of regulation. You can't really be regulated without asking yourself if you are safe, because your brain is not going to feel at ease if it senses that there's still danger and your body won't either. So even if you convince yourself that you're safe, your body is just like, yeah, prove it. And the only way you can prove it is if you relax it because then the body's like, okay, well, she's relaxing the body. Then obviously she's not being chased by something that's going to kill her. And that's how they have that communication. So the three components are, am I safe? Which is that cognitive down Am I safe? Yes. I look around me. Maybe I don't feel like I was safe. Maybe five minutes ago, maybe. But in this moment, draw a circle around myself. I am safe. And then the next step is, do I feel safe? And usually the body's like, yeah, I don't feel safe. I have cramps. I have tension. My heart's beating. I'm sweating. All right. 
but we already know that empirically, logically, you are safe. And so now let's relax the body. And when we relax the body, it pulls it all together. And now we can be regulated. And now the CEO comes back in and she's like, okay, how can I help you? <laughs> we go from there. Let's move on now. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on now. Yeah. <laughs> so good. So good. Thank you. Um, so I, and I think we kind of touched on this a little bit. You talked about co-regulation, but is there any other advice that you have for someone who's supporting someone or a loved one who's had a concussion or brain injury? Yeah. So I, I think co-regulation is, is something you can offer to your loved one that when you see they're dysregulated, you want to be the model of regulation for them. So if they're having, it's it's the same thing as parent-child, right? If your child is having a freak out, we don't want to match it with a freak out. We want to sort of bring everybody down. So that's definitely something if your loved one has an injury, want to do that. But I do think that you need to make you a priority if you are a caretaker or a loved one. You need to be taking care of yourself. You are giving a lot. And, and I know that a lot of caregivers, partners, parents, you know, spouses really are making their life change changes too. when somebody else in their family or in their surrounding has a concussion or injury and they don't usually get a ton of support. And hopefully that will change as, as we start to see what a big role it is in providing as teams more support to the caregivers. But they also need to make sure that they are getting their picture refilled because they're constantly pouring and helping. So what can you do to take care of yourself? How can you nourish yourself? How can you make sure that you get that proper five things, that sleep, that movement? You need all those things too. And refill yourself at the end of every single day you want to do that. And then thirdly, I'd say you want to just acknowledge and remind yourself that it is a lot of it is biology. You know, your loved one is not deliberately trying to be difficult. They're not deliberately trying to, you know, forget things or not be able to do things. They're struggling with it too. And their nervous system piece is really just biology. And so it that can, I think that that can help when you know, like, okay, it's biology at work. And it's your biology at work too. When you're feeling at the end of your rope, that's your biology sending you a message. And that's how our body talks to us. Our body talks to us through the feelings that the sensations that we have. So pay attention, tune into them that you might need more rest. You might need more downtime. You might need more support. So you want to make sure that you're getting that. Oh, beautiful. And so much, (laughs) as you were talking about all that, I was like, this is exactly perfectly applicable to parenthood, I think. (laughs) And a lot of times parents are the caregivers for people who've had a concussion or brain injury, but even just in general, like parents are like, they have their caregiving for somebody else who is needing a lot. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. No, it's the same thing as parenting. We can't expect our children to be regulated if we're not regulated and we are modeling regulation for them and to be good quote unquote parents, however you want to define it, you do need to be taking care of yourself. You do. Otherwise you have nothing to offer. You're at the end of your rope. Your, your zone is so thin that everything and anything is just going to tip you into team hyperstate. Yes. And I, I think 
like you said, just the awareness that it's biology, that they're not trying to do this. Like that is really, really genuinely helpful. I just yesterday, and this is, again, this is a parenting analogy, but I think it, it matches. I ended up needing to take four kids from nine down to two years old to the UPS store with me, which going into it, I was like, this is not going to go well. <laughs> I just knew it. This but, is a recipe for disaster. Yes. Sometimes we put ourselves in circumstances yeah. that require a lot of us, but I, I was like, okay, guys, I, anyway, we went into it and they ended up, of course, the situation ended up being that their, the person's point of service place wasn't working. Like their system wasn't reading my card and the line was backing up and the kids were one child in particular was aggravating all the other ones and caused, you know, you know, you, I'm sure yeah, you can, I know. Like, and as I started the story, I'm sure you knew where it was going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember like in that moment, I was like, Hmm, this is one of those situations. <laughs> like I can see, like, but I, that awareness alone was so yeah. helpful for me. I was like, okay, I'm going to try to like ragdoll a little bit. I'm going to calm my body down. And I like, was so proud of myself. <laughs> yeah. Did not freak out and kill the whole town. It was amazing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but like trying to separate the children going back and forth. Yeah, it was, it was intense, but, but uh, that awareness and, and I must've had enough sleep or something I think that I was doing, I was set up in an okay space, but I don't know. I just feel like it is a testament to the, that zone of resilience, being aware of it, knowing how to handle things is really. Yeah. Key to yeah. being um, and I love that you are proud of yourself because I think that's a piece that we often skip over. Like be proud of yourself for doing that. Give yourself that reward, that celebration, because that also reinforces with your brain, like, first of all, Hey, you can do this. So then the next time this happens, you can draw from this experience and it just reinforces that this works and the brain wants to keep doing things that work. It's like, okay, this seems to do well. Let's keep reinforcing that. So don't skip over that step. I think that's a small celebrations you want to have. Thank you. Yes. No, it was good. And it was, I actually, I applied something else that I was taught again from you, which was the debriefing. And as we were walking out with the kids, I was like, all right, kids, what went well? And yeah. my <laughs> was like, nothing. I was like, no, I did not. I did not murder you all. <laughs> that That's went right. really well. That went well. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, one, that, and then like, what, what, didn't go so well. What can we do next time? Like it was just, it was a helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That review is so important for your, it's so important for your CEO because she's making mental note of what she can do next time. And it's also really important for your nervous system because it's reinforcing. Okay. That actually does work. You know, when I do that breathing, when I ragdolled like that, even though the circumstance didn't change around me, but I was better able to respond. I was able to choose how I wanted to respond. I felt so much more comfortable in my body and it just keeps reinforcing that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I will just say too, I have never really wanted to murder my children. (laughs) I really do love them like a lot. (laughs) Uh, We all do. I I think every single mother has said those words in, in, you know, just obviously we all love our kids, but they can drive us absolutely crazy. And I think they're actually meant to do that. You know, they oh, are yeah. our biggest teachers. So. I, oh my gosh. Amen. And I actually, it's yeah. funny when I talk to my um, clients, a lot of times I'll, we'll talk about the importance of 
multi-sensory activities and how helpful that is for the brain, like doing things that involve your eyes, your ears and your body yeah. all at once. And I'm like, if you have kids, you're set. <laughs> They're going to provide you with all of those things. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Plenty of challenges. yeah. <laughs> so right. any, any final tips or tricks, hacks, if you will, to managing and regulating our nervous system that we haven't already covered that you'd like to mention? Self-compassion. I think we sort of mentioned that. Make sure that you uh, have lots of self-compassion for yourself. Whenever you are going through something, it's okay to stop and acknowledge that this is hard Mm -hmm. and that you are doing the best that you can and your best is good enough. Like not to to beat yourself up for that. Um, The other thing I would really recommend, and I work a lot with this with my clients, is make sure that you are tracking the good. And um, we talk about it in the course about tracking, you know, the, the sparks, the glimmers, the seeds of hope. But I find that when you are in that darker place, you have an injury, you're seeing professionals all the time, there's a tendency to track the pain, track the number of times you forgot something, track the number of times you weren't able to read, or, you know, these are all the examples I hear. Well, I had to leave early from this. I wasn't able to pay attention for that. And I get why we're tracking those because you feel like you want to report them to the professional so the professional can say, oh, yes, okay, I see that and maybe I can help you in those areas. But you're just reinforcing those patterns with your brain. You want to make sure at the very least you are tracking just as much good things. And I talk about that equal airtime, give equal airtime to the good and the bad. And usually when I start off my sessions with my clients and I ask them how their week was, whatever they launch into, if they launch into the bad, then I usually say to them, okay, now tell me about the good. And and sometimes they are like, uh, I didn't murder my kids. That's okay. <laughs> that, that's okay. But if they talk about the good, then I'll be like, all right, what was harder for you this week? We want to have that equal airtime. There's a really great book called The Gap and the Gain. And we've talked about it before, Benjamin Hardy and Dan Sullivan. And the gain is looking at how far you have come. What is the progress that you have made? And the gap is really looking at how far you still have to go. When you are focused on how far you still have to go, it can be really daunting and it can feel very, very grim and it can feel like a long ways off. When you focus on how far you've come and how far you've come since your injury, because sometimes people are like, well, if I focus on my past and I was like this before, no, we're talking about how far you come since the injury, you can start to see the hope, you can start to see the progress. And then that helps with momentum, it helps keep going, it helps you build your confidence, it helps build that hope. So I really encourage people to make sure you're tracking the good and not just the bad. Mm, That is so powerful. And and it that allows for that gratitude piece to come in that can make a huge difference in our exactly and everything. That's beautiful. Thank you. And actually, I had two clients come into mind as you were saying both of those things. Like one I spoke with yesterday and she was telling me about a day where she just really had a hard time. And and I was like, okay, let's just remember you're a human. <laughs> and this yeah. I, I kind of taught her about some of these things like, hey, this is physiology. It's okay. Like that, that self-compassion, just love yourself. And it's okay to have 
human emotions and human experiences and be who you need to be in that moment. In that moment. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also recovery, you know, specifically with this population that I'm familiar with recovery may not look like you thought it would. Mm-hmm. And I find that people are usually very desperate to get back to who they were pre-injury. And I think that's completely understandable. Like, you know, for, for most people, everything changed within a split second and it's not fair. There's usually, you know, often people aren't to blame. There's, there's no rhyme or reason to it, but they're very desperate to get back to who they were. And that actually can be a roadblock. And I liken it to, I'm about to be an empty nester. So all my kids will be um, gone. And so I'm going to be a single mom again, a single woman again. I'm still married, but I'm not going to have any kids similar to how it was pre kid where I didn't have any kids. I can go out for dinner every single night. If I want, I can sign up for whatever activity I can do all those things. Is it the same thing though? Is it the same thing? It's not because I have had experiences of being a mother that has forever changed me. And I I have always said, once I became a mother, I never looked at the time the same way again. Because when my kids were little, if it was like 10 o'clock, I'd be thinking, oh, they're having recess right now. Or if it's noon, or now that my kids are older and I have certain kids in different time zones, I'm constantly calculating. In in fact, one of our kids for Christmas a couple of years ago, we had our kids were scattered over three time zones and they bought us three clocks so we could put them up in our kitchen with all the different time zones. So I'm always looking up, what is this person doing? This person, this person, that is way different than what I ever did pre kid. I may not have kids with me at home, but these experiences, I've become a different person. And I liken that once you've had an injury, you can't really go back to who you were before because you have had such significant changes and challenges that have helped you grown that have helped you change. There's, you know, post-traumatic growth, which we won't even hit that right now, but there is post-traumatic growth where a lot of people do come out and they are able to have that possibility and certain areas of their life to be better. Now, some are different, some are better. A lot of people grieve, but you can have grief and hope at the same time. They can all coexist. So when people usually say to me, I just want to get back to who I was, I don't say up front to them, like, no, you don't. But along the way, we talk about coming to version 2.0 of yourself. Mm-hmm. So you, there are things that will come with you. There are things you will likely grieve, but there are so many other things. You don't even realize the richness of your life, much like being a mother. I can't remove it out of me. And I don't want to remove it out of exactly. That is a beautiful analogy. I love that because it does. Yeah, it changes you, and in some ways you may like, in some ways you may not. But there are going to be things that your the depth of experience and your knowledge and your understanding of things is going to be right. so much deeper. And yeah, yeah, that's that's a great analogy. Thank you for sharing yeah, that. You're welcome. The other the other client that I was thinking about when you were sharing your two like pieces of advice was one that had gone on a boating trip recently and she had really bad vestibular stuff going on when she first got on the boat. And then again, when she first got off of the boat and onto land and they were like, is this, is this okay that we did this? And I was like, yes, this is a huge win. Like she, 
she had the issue, but then it went away and she was able to enjoy the rest of the boat ride. And then she, after she got off the, onto the land, it was hard for a little bit, but then she was fine. Like right. those are wins. Like let's, let's those focus on the things that, yeah, That's the right. progress that we are making, it really does make a big yeah. difference. Yeah, exactly. Um, perfect. So one of the, the main reasons that I feel so passionately about doing this podcast is that I know that there's so many people out there who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms or other brain injuries who struggle to maintain hope. And I want to offer hope to those who are struggling through this and let them know that they're not alone. And you've seen lots of people going through similar things in your work over the years. And what, what have you seen and learned that could offer hope to these people and to those who love them? I think really touching on that idea of post-traumatic growth that I have seen so many people who have been able to create beautiful version 2.0s of themselves and been able to embrace some of the pain and the sorrow and the grief that they go through. I've seen people who have made choices in different directions that they never thought they would. I've had quite a few people say to me, like, I think I'm a better person. I think that I have learned so much more about myself, about being a parent, being a spouse. I've seen people who really do things in a different way. Sometimes there was a lot of fear in their life. And because they have overcome and they really stretch themselves by doing this rehab, that they aren't afraid of some of these tasks that maybe previously they never would have done. I've, I've just seen such amazing examples of resilience. I mean, this is as much as I, I do coaching, I still always kind of want to keep my hand in, in speech pathology because I just find so many of my clients are so inspiring. And, and even when they're in that messy middle where they feel like it's just dark and is this ever going to get better? Is this going to go away? I get to have the perspective I've been doing this for 25 years. So I can say, yes, it does get better and you will find yourself again. It will be different. Like, like we talked about already. And it's such a privilege to work with people to see their growth. So really just hang in there. Like it is dark in the middle but there is light. And sometimes you you need to be your own light. Sometimes you're in that dark tunnel going like, where is the end of the tunnel? You got to reach in your pocket and pull out your flashlight and just be the one walking through. And I've seen so many people do it. Surround yourself with people who believe in you. Surround yourself with people who are compassionate, but also surround yourself with people who are going to push you a little bit because you, you also... Um, there are things that you are capable of doing that sometimes fear steps in the way and, you know, fear of symptoms, fear of pain. That's a whole other thing that we can talk about, but live your life and have confidence that with these baby steps that you're taking consistency, regulate your nervous system that you will get there. Yes. Amen. Amen to that. Thank you. That was beautifully said. Well, thank you again so much for being here. And um, I'm just so, so grateful and for all that you're doing and all that you've shared today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you for all the work that you are doing to spread word to everybody about that there's hope and there's different ways of doing things, because I think it's a message that many of our clients need to hear. I hope you found that helpful. If you are interested in reaching out to Bethany, she can be found on Instagram at the underscore concussion underscore coach. And she also has a podcast called The Concussion Coach. So connect with her there and I will see you next time. Have a great week, everyone.
Thank you for listening to the Build.